afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk's the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the program is designed for, well, someone just like me. There's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been on my mind for a while. I find that rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch style talk with the pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest, Kirk Clayton of Zion Lutheran Church in Muscoota, Illinois. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions in by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org. Or you can call in during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, that number is area code 314-8210-850. Or you can call in toll-free anywhere in the lower 48 with 1-800-730-2727. Pastor Clayton, welcome aboard. Hey, great to be back with you. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. You know, the this COVID-19 thing is really taking a toll on everybody. Uh but, you know, I look at it just from my point of view, and it's kind of a selfish one. You know, I'm, I'm just one person. I'm responsible for my family. I'm responsible for my work here at the Synod. But what about the pastors? You people are responsible for a heck of a lot more. I mean, not just my worries. you got the worries of everybody in your congregation. This has got to be taking a toll. It certainly is, and the uh, numbers are starting to show that, the stories are starting to show that, that uh, pastors are really starting to struggle as this COVID situation drags on and on. I believe we're now into about seven months of this situation, and if you think back to early to mid-March, most of the early restrictions that came out were thinking about restrictions in the time period of two weeks. I remember when our governor in Illinois first pronounced the the restrictions and everything shut down. That was about March 15th, roughly the very middle of March. Easter was April 12th. And when we had our first emergency elders meeting, I'll say our first of many <laughs> emergency elders meetings since that time, we were uh, trying to shift to an online presence right away, but the the universal sense was at least we'll be able to be back together for Easter. We'll all be together for Easter. Everything will be blown over. It'll be back to normal by Easter. Well, now seven months later, we are still living with many of the same restrictions that were imposed in March, whether lawfully or voluntarily, um, and there could be arguments made on either side. But this is just dragging on and on. And so the initial shock and the kind of adrenaline that goes with that has worn off, and pastors and congregations are realizing that they set themselves up for a sprint to adapt to something they expected would last maybe two weeks, three weeks, a month, and then would be over. Whereas what we're finding out is that what we're facing instead of a sprint is a marathon with possibly no end in sight. And we, uh, we did not pace ourselves properly for this race. Uh, I am not a runner. 
but uh, I understand from runners that you want to set a pace that's going to be realistic for the race that you're running. And um, a runner knows what the distances they're going to run. If they're running, you know, a 100-meter uh, dash, that's one thing. If they're running a 400, that's a different thing. If they're running a 5K, if they're running a marathon. And a runner in each specialty will pace themselves appropriate to that race. A marathon runner would never pace themselves as if they're running uh, a 100-meter dash. But that's what many pastors did because we honestly thought that's what we were running. We thought, you know, adapt change for a few weeks. And then our hope was by Easter, we would be setting up chairs and people would be packing back in in joy out of celebration that we were able to be together and then everything was done by Easter. And now here we are well into the middle of the Pentecost or the middle of the Trinity season and various states are imposing more restrictions. Um, other states are not terribly quick to lift theirs. And we're realizing we set the pace for the wrong race. And uh, to use another marathon runner's term, we're, we're hitting the wall. Um, and so you can see that in stories uh, that you hear coming out in parishes. Um, there are um, evidences that I see in the, the pastors that I know and work with, and uh, there are starting to be uh, studies and uh, research that's backing this up, too. So this has been a, a very, very challenging year. And then the fact that this is also an election year, and so you have an extra dose of politics playing in, and then politics intertwines with all of the problems going on with COVID, and you truly have to use a, uh, a much-abused movie title from a few years ago, A Perfect Storm Brewing in the Parishes and with Pastors. So uh, all that to give a very long uh, way of saying, yes, <laughs> you're right, this has been very hard on pastors and parishes, and uh, I would love to be able to spend some time uh, talking and thinking through how it is that pastors and congregations can join together in this very difficult time and work together and support one another so that uh, we can uh, share the joy that God has given us and enjoy the fellowship and the, uh, the blessing that he would give rather than uh, be dragged down by all of the challenges that we see around us in the world. Well, I know in my church, uh, my pastor has said that two of the most frustrating things that he's he's been facing is that uh, he cannot do proper services for funerals, and he's mm -hmm. really restricted in visiting people in hospital or in hospice. Um, also, you know, my congregation is small to begin with, but uh, I, I sometimes, you know, we don't even get 10 people in service. And that's got to be a terrible thing for, for the pastor to look out and say, gee, where are the faithful? Why am I doing this? All of those things are uh, widely reported and commented on across the spectrum of the church. And you mentioned uh, funerals being difficult. Some states 
still are not really allowing much of any public gathering for funerals. I have had, I believe, um, I'm blessed in a congregation that is a bit younger in general demographics and fairly healthy, don't have a lot of funerals. I believe I've had two since the... um, since the lockdown, one of them was a, a graveside service only, not in the church, where the family gathered outside, and uh, God blessed us with a, a very, very pleasant day in, in mid to late spring. And so we had a, an outdoor service there. The other, um, more recent, the restrictions had lifted to the point that we could have about 25% of the building capacity in the building. Uh, and so that ended up actually being somewhat more of a normal size of funeral. But we were not able to have the meal afterwards. And there, there definitely is a challenge. I have found in funerals that uh, the way the church has developed uh, kind of a standard funeral technique really is a blessing. You have the initial ministry with the family. You have the preparation for the funeral. You have the service itself in which the gospel of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is proclaimed just full blast at a funeral. Uh, In the face of death, we have the message that, yes, even in death, God gives life, and Jesus has risen from the dead, and our loved ones likewise live with him, and we will rise at the last day. There's, There's no better place for the proclamation of the strongest gospel possible than at a funeral. But then, the oftentimes there's a meal afterwards, which we're not allowed to do yet. And th- what happens at the meal invariably, I've watched this over and over, is very little short of a miracle on the part of the Lord. The family that walks into the funeral crushed and weeping leaves the meal hugging, laughing, and remembering the wonderful blessing of family that we have. The Spirit through the Gospel has done its work, and then the meal gives us culmination of family being together and rejoicing in the gift of life that God gives. And that part, uh, we're still not allowed to to uh, take part in. So the, the funeral service certainly does its work. That's wonderful. And we're able to, to share the Gospel there. But there's there's an aspect of fellowship that's lost, and we really mourn for that that lack of being able to be with brothers and sisters in a more relaxed situation, perhaps over a meal, and encourage one another in that sense. You also mentioned the, the inability to make hospital calls and nursing home visits. I it, This really frustrates me to say this. I have not stepped foot in a nursing home since March. And that is highly, highly unusual for uh, for pastoral ministry. And I I am very weighed down and concerned that the members that we have living in nursing homes who are locked down, they can't leave, they can't be brought out to service, I can't go in, they have not had word and sacrament ministry, especially not the sacrament now for six to seven months. Um, and I have a, a, a wife of a member who's in a nursing home that is in church every Sunday, and she says, Pastor, as soon as I hear anything from the nursing home, I will let you know so that you can please go and share the Lord's Supper with my husband in the nursing home. But we can't do that yet right now. The nursing homes are not allowing it. 
Um, now, where I live, it's just across the river from Missouri. Missouri has more relaxed standards than Illinois does. I've actually been able to make a couple of hospital calls uh, in the last several months, but on the Missouri side. We can't do it in Illinois, but I could do it in Missouri. And so I've been able to make a couple of hospital calls. But pastors also, we uh, <laughs> it doesn't always come out in preaching or in Bible class or in meetings, but pastors love their people. Uh, their heart is with their people. And there is a real sense of mourning, uh, a real sense of, of loss when a pastor cannot be with his people in their time of need. Uh, we, we kind of have this, this innate drive that when everything else looks bad for a person, that's when we want to be there. Because we know that as a pastor, we have the message of the hope of the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no better time to share that than when people are in need and are hurting. And we now, we still know we have that message, but we can't share it. We, we're not allowed to be with our members in that time of need, which is incredibly frustrating. And then you mentioned another thing in your, your setup here. You mentioned that uh, attendance uh, is much smaller than what it was. There are some congregations still, I think, that have not opened to having in-person uh, worship on the weekends. Many have, um, but those that have generally have found that participation is considerably lower than it was. And um, our congregation here at Zion and Mascuto was able to resume in-person, face-to-face worship on a scaled-back format uh, about the first week of July. And those first couple weeks, frankly, were, were exhilarating. Uh, the church was not full, um, but the services were, were filled with people that were just overjoyed at the opportunity to be back together again. Well, that joy has subsided a little bit, and it be, because it's become a little bit more routine again. But we also notice that, just to, to share some, some numbers, at this point last year, an average service at the congregation where I serve, we probably would have rejoiced with about 170 or 180 people together receiving God's gifts and word and sacrament. That was about our average attendance, was about 170 to 180. Now, split between two services, that was in one service, 170 to 180 people in one service. Now in two services, we're probably seeing about 100 people a week to receive God's gifts. Uh, About 60 on Sunday morning, about 40 on Saturday night. And so there's there's this sense of, is this how life as a Christian is going to be. And there's a longing <laughs> for what where we were a year ago. I, I think about um, the the exiles from Jerusalem in 586 AD, or A 586 BC. Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem. He took the, uh, the Jews off into captivity in Babylon. Seventy years later, Cyrus the Persian allowed people to go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the temple. And we're told that when the temple was rebuilt, those who were old enough to remember the glory of Solomon's temple from before they were deported, um, there was there was happiness that the temple was rebuilt, but they wept with sorrow that what was rebuilt was not the splendor and glory 
that they had known in their childhood and youth. And so there's, in some senses, not just with pastors, but with congregation members too. I think there's this this sense of being like the the exiles coming back from Babylon, and we are glad to be back together in God's house, and we recognize that God continues to pour out his gifts. God is so generous and gracious to share his forgiveness and life and salvation and word and sacraments, whether you are worshiping in a tent outside, as some congregations are now, or back inside with much lower uh, attendance quotas, whether you're wearing masks or not, God continues to pour out his gifts upon us. But like the exiles coming back from Babylon, there is a sense that we 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 recognize the 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 joy that we had even now just just a year ago or just eight months ago. Um, and there's there's an ache there that that's not where the church is right now. So this weighs not only on pastors, but as we think about what's going on in the church, this weighs heavily on, on the faithful layperson as well. You passed on to me an article with a very disturbing title of Dear Pastor, Please Don't Quit On Us Now. And in that article, uh, there was one uh, in July, a gentleman by the name of Chuck Lawless had sounded a warning on his post titled, Six Reasons Why Some Pastors May Resign After the COVID Crisis. And on August 31st, uh, Tom Renner wrote, uh, Please hear me clearly. The vast majority of pastors with whom our team communicates say they are considering quitting their churches. It's a trend I haven't seen in my lifetime. Some are just weeks away from making that announcement. Boy, this is something I don't think anyone foresaw when the, this crisis first first hit. You know, we always thought, yeah, it'll pass, what, what have you. But are we seeing a situation here where pastors are getting so frustrated that, that they're losing their faith, perhaps, or losing their sense of mission, that they simply want to say, no more, I can't take this anymore? There may be some instances where people, are losing their faith or pastors are walking away from the faith. I don't know that that's necessarily the largest trend, but there are certainly pastors across all denominations, and the LCMS probably will not be unaffected by this trend, where pastors, even if they're not leaving the faith, even if they remain steadfast, faithful Christians themselves, uh, are leaving the pastoral ministry. Now, this is something that's that's not necessarily new, but it is something that is certainly accelerating. Um, a shocking statistic is that, uh, and this was before COVID, only, and this is across all denominations, I'm not sure exactly what the numbers are in the LCMS, but only one out of every 10 pastors will actually retire as a parish pastor. So if a young gentleman goes into the parish ministry, say at the age of 25, um, by the time he's 65, there is a 90% attrition rate of pastors that only 10% who start as pastors will retire in a parish, not the same parish, but in any parish in, in parish ministry. Um, and there is another statistic. Uh, this is last year already. Uh, this is not even with COVID this year, but 1,500 pastors, this is not in the LCMS, this is across all denominations across the country, but 1,500 pastors left the pastoral ministry every month last year. 
1500 a month. And that was before the stress of COVID, where now, as you, you quoted, one church consultant said, the vast majority of pastors with whom our team communicates say that they are considering quitting their churches. Now, of course, not all will follow through, but that the vast majority of pastors are at least thinking about that. And the, the reasons are many. We've talked about some of them already the weariness and frustration, but I also hinted at earlier on that the fact that this is a highly politically charged presidential election year is not helping because uh, COVID restrictions are now largely splitting along uh, party lines and it's becoming a very political thing. And so uh, in many congregations, about half of the congregation will say that any gathering, you know, with masks, socially distanced, whatever, uh, are dangerous. So that's kind of one party line. The other party line says that any uh, agreement to any restrictions is, um, you know, allowing for tyranny and a horrible abuse of uh, governmental power in a, uh, a constitutional republic where the people have ultimate power, not the government. And so this political divide is spilling over into the church. And uh, this article that you cited from before mentions that pastors know that every decision regarding what happens with uh, COVID will offend nearly half of their congregation. So if a pastor says, hey, uh, we're going to open the doors but wear masks, well, half of the congregation is going to be offended because uh, we are now putting people at risk and we're uh, risking the health of the neighbor and we're contributing to the spread of this disease and we should stay shut down, another half of the congregation is going to say, how dare you uh, subject the church to these unlawful dictates of the state by saying that we have to have limited attendance and wear masks. And so pastor after pastor that I've talked to, and I see this in my own congregation as well, feel this split that half of the congregation, either very vocally or you know somewhat quietly, says we're doing too much too fast. The other half of the congregation, either quietly and subtly or somewhat somewhat vocally, says you are um, you know not being faithful in the church because you are subjecting the church to the dictates of the state. Uh, we have the First Amendment that protects us from that, and so. Uh, you're doing the wrong thing by following any safety guidelines. They're all made up. They're all irresponsible, and the church should not submit to any of them. And pastors are stuck right in the middle. Um, and there is a quote in this article that uh, that's very, very pertinent. It says, uh, from a pastor, says, I'm aware that people are growing weary of the entire pandemic. Some are scared to death, while others are convinced it's a hoax. And now this is the pertinent sentence right here. Listen to this. Trying to minister to both ends of the spectrum is exhausting. Trying to minister to both ends of the spectrum is exhausting. And that is exactly where the vast majority of pastors find themselves right now. I think another uh, thing that we're looking at is a, almost a siege mentality uh, where we run in. We as Lutherans have an obligation to follow our civic, uh, our civic leaders. We know this left-hand kingdom. And yet some of these leaders in some jurisdictions are saying, well, gee, you know, 
churches are not essential, but bars are, demonstrations are, casinos are. And when the, the state dismisses the importance of the church, that is a recipe for, well, as I said, a, a siege mentality. Right. It, and early on, churches were extremely, extremely frustrated that, for example, you could go to the hardware store and you could pick up a screwdriver, or you could go to the grocery store and you could pick up um, you know, a, a, a bag of frozen French fries. You could go to the liquor store and buy whatever you want. In Illinois, you could go to the marijuana dispensaries and get your high there. You could not go to church because a marijuana dispensary, which was only made legal, I believe, on July or, uh, on uh, January 1st of 2000, three months later was an essential business. Churches, which predate the state of Illinois and the United States by thousands of years and have always been the building block and cornerstone of society, were deemed non-essential. And that really stung a lot of people. I know it does me. I, it, it, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I feel the confusion where I realize that we do have an obligation to our, to our secular kingdom, but my gosh, when the secular kingdom doesn't feel that they have an obligation to us, where does that lead? And that's, that and can be a very dangerous a, and very, very disheartening thought. We've got to take a short a, break here now, but I want to pick up on this at the bottom of the, uh, after the uh, break here, because we've still got a lot more to talk about. that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. The USA is the third largest mission field in the world, and church planning is one of the most effective means of making new disciples, new missions to new people in new places. Get ready to plow the fields. Check out the Mission Field USA podcast produced by the LCMS Office of National Mission. You can find it at kfuo.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Blessed Savior Lutheran Church at 8 a.m. and Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fenton at 10.30, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 9.30. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO.
The daughter of a Victorian Quaker family, Elizabeth Fry, was 18 when she heard a sermon on justice, a message that became a life-changing catalyst for thousands of women and children. Elizabeth began collecting clothes for the poor, visiting the sick, even having Sunday school in her home to teach children to read. Urged to visit London's Newgate Prison, she found hundreds of women and children in appalling conditions, resulting in her impassioned advocacy for prison reform. She became the first woman to give evidence at a House of Commons committee inquiry into British prisons. Elizabeth Fry founded the Association for the Reformation of Female Prisoners in Newgate to introduce them to knowledge of the Holy Scriptures and to form in them habits of order, sobriety, and industry. The Bible, life-changing in its impact. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back. Let's talk. The pastor is in. The pastor today is Kirk Clayton from Zion Lutheran Church in Muscoota, Illinois. We are discussing the impact that COVID is having, not just on us, but specifically on pastors. The burden on them is enormous. If you have something to contribute to this, if you want to talk about it, especially if you're a pastor, I'd love to hear from you. You can email us at any time at letstalk at kfuo.org. Or in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, call us. The number there is 314-821-0850. And you can call us anywhere in the lower 48, toll-free at 800-730-2727. Well, Pastor, we're right back to it again. <laughs> Boy, I, this, this is a... It's difficult to see the light at the end of the tunnel on this. Sometimes I think, you know, if we do see the light, it's going to be an oncoming train. Well, just before the break, we were talking about the siege mentality, as you phrased it, where some uh, businesses and some operations were declared to be essential, whereas churches were not. And just before I went to break, I had another thought strike me of perhaps the ultimate indignity in that siege mentality where some things were declared essential and churches weren't. In many states, abortion clinics were declared to be essential. Now, doctor's offices even were not declared to be essential for various elective surgery procedures. And so if you had a, a minor surgical need that perhaps had been scheduled before or that you knew needed to be taken care of, you could not have elective surgery because hospitals were being kept um, from any other people coming in so they could handle the supposed influx of COVID-19 patients, which across vast swaths of the country never came. But you could not get elective surgery, even if you needed it during certain time periods, because elective surgery was declared to be non-essential, whereas abortion was declared to be essential. And you could walk into any abortion clinic in any number of states at any point during the COVID epidemic and get an abortion. And so if you think about how twisted, how sick and backwards this is, that killing a person can be declared to be essential, that person being unborn in the womb. But bringing the message of life and the gospel that we have in Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead was non-essential. And talk about things that sting. That is a distinction that just really, really rankles. 
Oh boy, you know you're absolutely right. I think Illinois was one of those that uh, is one of those jurisdictions where the uh, abortion clinics were dis- were ruled as being essential. And what's happening now when the social contract between the, the state and the citizenry is in jeopardy? And uh, I think this might be what we're facing now. And this is a, a enormous concern uh, to to me as a citizen and, and me as a Christian, and certainly you as a leader of a congregation. Uh, how do you, how do you address this to your to your people to your congregation? You know, supposedly we're not uh, we're not supposed to be too political in our churches in our in our pronouncements. But what happens when the social contract is broken? Well. You know, there's an interesting, um, interesting uh, distinction here that for the last hundred or so years, maybe longer, the state has inserted itself more and more into providing for its citizens, which was not really what the United States was founded to do, whereas the church was that organization which cared for those in need. The church was that organization sponsoring the family that provided the social safety net and care. That has now been turned on its head to where people don't look to the church as the one to help them in time of need. They look to the government, which ultimately will find out that you can only do so much with other people's money. Uh, Now, we're already in that process. Uh, I am very convinced that the government is overextended, whether its intentions were good or otherwise. I don't need to get into that. But the government is planning and spending at an unsustainable level and will crash Um, unless there's major, major reform. We are uh, giving out as a government more than can be sustained. Now, I, I will predict that in the, in the coming years, I don't know how long out, that will all collapse. Now, the church needs to be prepared to step back in and again provide as it has throughout the millennia. Uh, this has happened repeatedly in the past, where people look to the government for all good things. Uh, the government, in its corruption and waste, could not provide all good things. The government collapses. There is a void. And thanks be to God, he has planned for his church to step into that void and for the church to bring love and the gospel, as well as human care needs, to uh, people who are hurting and in need. And we need to be prepared to do that again. But... Uh, lest uh, our time here together today uh, just kind of be a a rant and complaint about what is going wrong as of the first half hour we've, we largely talked about the the problems that pastors are facing and now the problems the churches are facing um, it would be great if we could uh, also include in our conversation not just the challenges but the opportunities that the church has to love and support one another in the church, for pastors to be able to love and support the members of the congregation, and then, and what we don't often think about, how the members of a congregation can love and support their pastor to encourage him and to strengthen him to continue on in the essential ministry that we know is an essential ministry that God has 
is given for pastors as we care for and provide God's gifts to his people. One of the the articles that you sent to me actually addresses this issue on what the, the parishioner can do to encourage the pastor, to help the pastor over this hump. Mm-hmm. Let's discuss that. What what would you what what are these issues? What what are these things that we can do? Well, uh, one of the uh, the pastors that was quoted in one of these articles made the comparison to Moses and Aaron and Hur. And if you remember, in the Old Testament, there was a battle. And so long as Moses had his hands held up in blessing over the people and in prayer. The Israelites prevailed. When Moses' arms grew tired and he dropped his arms and lost his concentration on blessing and prayer, then the Israelites were overrun. And so he called Aaron and Hur to come and stand next to him and hold up his arms so that he can continue with arms raised to pronounce that blessing on the people. And one of the pastors who was interviewed for this article said that um, he's feeling disconnected and he needs encouragement. He needs Aaron and her to hold up my hands. He said, I need people to come alongside me. And so um, we can think about how it is that congregations, uh, lay leaders in congregations, uh, people who are not in leadership in congregations, can come alongside their pastor and be like Aaron and her, holding up Moses' hands and sending uh, forms of encouragement and support to the pastor. And so I uh, saw a, a pastoral note that says um, to the uh, every member of the parish, Write emails, messages, letters of encouragement to your pastor. It's amazing how notes of encouragement seem to arrive just at the right time when a pastor needs it. And during 2020, notes and letters of encouragement have become even more precious. The format doesn't matter, write, type, text, but this pastoral uh, letter says to the, the lay leaders of the congregation, know that every ounce of encouragement you send will go a long way these days. You have the power to lift your pastors with simple acts. The more you encourage them, the more they will able to be able to encourage you in the next several months. And um, from personal experience, I'll just relate. Um, every once in a while, I will get a, a note or a card, sometimes after a baptism, sometimes after a funeral, sometimes just out of the blue, where a member of the congregation has written, Dear Pastor, thank you so much for you know, the, the wonderful thoughts that you shared at Grandpa's funeral, or thank you so much for walking with us through uh, the, the joyous occasion of the baptism of our son. We know the, the time that you took to be with us, and we appreciate that. Thank you. We're praying for you. Or sometimes it's just, um, dear pastor, um, you don't know this, but the sermon that you preached last Sunday uh, really addressed some of the struggles that I'm facing. Um, and uh, maybe two, three times a year, I, I might get a card like that. And, um, I was talking with uh, uh, an older seasoned pastor at our Pastor's Winkle, the circuit pastor's meeting, uh, on a monthly basis several years ago. And I, I mentioned having some of these. said, you know, I was, was cleaning, out my, uh, cleaning out my files and cleaning out my, my desk. And, uh, boy, it's, just, it's really hard to throw away notes like that that I'd saved for, for several years. And this older, wise pastor 
looked at me with a baffled look on his face and said, why would you do that? <laughs> uh, and so I haven't. Uh, but to lay members, your pastor treasures any of those words of encouragement. And um, I, I have a, a file folder of uh, received mail. <laughs> and if someone writes a positive note, uh, I read it, I cherish it, and immediately it goes in that file, and it will never be, be discarded, but is a, a treasure. And so um, members of congregations who are listening to this broadcast, please don't underestimate the opportunity that you have to be Aaron and her lifting up your pastor's arms in encouragement and support. Um, I've had a number of people over the last several months remark about me and about our board of elders, our church council, how appreciative they are for, I mentioned the first of many emergency elders meetings back in March, and there have been many since then. Um, council meetings have been dragging longer and longer as we're trying to deal with the changing circumstances. And there have been a number of lay members in the parish that have expressed to me and to our various board members and leaders of the congregation how appreciative they are for the hard work to continue the word and sacrament ministry in the congregation. And comments like that really, really do help to make that a three-and-a-half-hour meeting <laughs> worthwhile. And I'm I'm not kidding or exaggerating about that, as anybody in church leadership knows. But when a congregation member says, a pastor or congregational chairman or member of the board of elders, thank you for the time that you're spending so that I can continue to hear the word and I can continue to receive the sacrament. That is a priceless encouragement that allows us to continue on for the next hurdle and the next week and the next month. So please, please share that encouragement and thankfulness for your pastors and also for the other leaders of your church who are also working extremely hard and becoming very tired themselves in order that uh, people can continue to have this opportunity to receive God's word and sacrament as a blessing from him. Actually, that can extend, I think, even beyond uh, this, this current pandemic. Uh, I've got to plead uh, mea culpa here on something, is that uh, my pastor is very, very good in sermons. And there are so many times where he will he will be preaching, and the, the thought to me was, my gosh, that's exactly what I was feeling. That, that, that explains exactly what it was that I should be doing. Or uh, golly, I didn't understand that before, but he really pointed out what that passage meant. Things like that. That happens to me quite often, as a matter of fact. And yet I can think of only one time I've actually gone to the pastor and said, thank you for clearing this up. Oops. <laughs> well, uh, and then sometimes you do that with the pastor, and the pastor's almost a little bit uh, dumbfounded. I it it happens every once in a while. It happened just about a week or so ago that a lay member brought up, hey, pastor, you know, about a year ago you mentioned something in a sermon. <laughs> and I am flabbergasted and amazed. I rarely remember what I said in a sermon last week because my focus is now entirely on uh, how do I proclaim the, the full counsel law and gospel of God to the people this week. 
But every once in a while, someone will bring up something that I said in a sermon a year ago, two years ago, and how that was what they, they needed to hear. And I'm just astounded at the, you can't attribute to anything other than the work of the Holy Spirit. None of, none of us as pastors are that uh, wise or perceptive, that we simply have to throw up our hands and say, thanks be to God that he uh, sends the words that the people need and uses pastors as unworthy mouthpieces to bring that comfort and assurance to his people. But boy, does it ever uh, lift a pastor's spirits and renew him in zeal for the pastoral ministry when congregation members share that? Because pastors do generally put a huge amount of energy and concern and time and effort into preaching and teaching. And oftentimes, uh, it's uh, much like the words of a Martin Franzman hymn text that the, the pastor sows the seed and then wonders, oh, what of that? And what of that? Because so rarely do we see the impact of these words that we've spent hours pouring over and crafting to bring to God's people. And when you, you actually see that the Spirit is, in fact, not uh, inactive and the word is not returning void but the holy spirit is accomplishing the purpose for which he sends it there is a a renewed uh, sense of um, excitement in the pastoral ministry and frankly there's a renewed sense as um, as unfortunate as this may sound but there's a, a renewed sense of of trust that god is active in his word and it's very helpful when a pastor does have the opportunity to see that. And so encourage you, know, you personally and, and listeners, please share those experiences with your pastor so that your pastor has just a glimpse into the uh, the workings of God in the parish in ways that that we wouldn't wouldn't see otherwise instead we would be fretting, you know, I'm I'm proclaiming God's word is anything happening? Uh, and to recognize that, yes, the Spirit is working through that word. Yes, the Spirit is accomplishing what he intends through that word he is a tremendous blessing to be able to see. Another aspect I think that is probably weighing on a lot of pastors with the attendance way down, whether it's people staying away because of the COVID or whether it's state restrictions or whether the churches have been closed in certain cases, that's going to have a financial impact on the individual congregations. Uh, and, you know, people during the normal times, and of course, they, they contribute every day, every, uh, every Sunday, the, 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 uh, uh, the, the, the uh, collection plate is passed and the money uh, is delivered there. And as the pastor will say, as he brings the, uh, the tray up to the altar, is that we worship with our offerings and there's no reason why we can't continue to worship with our offerings even if we are not present in the church we need to continue the financial support so this message can go forward right and um in the the church um money isn't everything, but as the saying goes, it ain't nothing either. And oftentimes what happens with offerings is that if 
offerings and the financial health of the congregation is good. It simply allows energy and focus to be devoted elsewhere to the ministry where it needs it, as opposed to if money is tight and offerings are short, all attention gets sucked to that black hole of the budget and nothing productive gets done in the church uh, until the financial issue is addressed. And sadly, that financial, is, uh, that financial issue is often addressed by looking at what is the largest line item in most congregations' budget, which is the pastor's salary and benefits. And uh, oftentimes, you know, the, the church feels they, they, you know, they can't neglect the electric bill so that they don't have their lights shut off, but um, they can cut the cost of the electric bill from the pastor's salary. And so that then adds to the weariness and stress level on the pastor as well. And so um, money isn't the ultimate goal of the church, but when it is lacking, it certainly becomes a detriment to the ministry and the rest of the church. And I think Jesus was uh, was very upfront about that. You know, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar, and to God's which is God's. And uh, you know, just because you're not sitting in the church doesn't mean that you, that you're not supposed to give to God what is God's. Yep, the mail service works really well, uh, <laughs> and um, online giving works. Uh, so there are any number of ways to support the congregation, even if you are uh, faithfully every Sunday watching Facebook Live and uh, not actually sitting in the pews. But there are so many other ways to support the congregation and your pastor as well. And so we would just like to maybe plant some seeds or do a little uh, on-air brainstorming for what can pastors and uh, lay members of a do to um, support one another and encourage one another? And so, you know, perhaps if you have a uh, particular talent in cooking, you know that your pastor enjoys a certain meal. You could say, hey, pastor, I'm stopping by at 4.30 this afternoon, and I have a nice, hot, fresh plate of fill-in-the-blank that you know is your, your pastor's favorite meal, and we'd like to share this with you. Uh, enjoy this. We thank you for all the work that you've done. Or whether it's a note or whether it's a compliment on a sermon, there are so many ways that we can share the gift of encouragement. The, the other side is, the flip side of that is, uh, I saw a very interesting suggestion um, of if you have a complaint about the church, <laughs> this is really not the time. I'm sorry, but this is not the time. <laughs> and uh, I saw an interesting note in something that I've read, um, uh, a suggestion to members of the congregation, take a sabbatical from criticism and complaining. If you have a criticism of the way your church or your pastor is functioning during COVID, Write it down in a COVID journal. Sit on it for 60 days. If after a couple of months it still seems important, then deliver the criticism in the most prayerful, gentle, and uh, thankful, if you can, way possible. Uh, by the way, this does mean not broadcasting on social media, but uh, addressing things personally, one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but that's a very interesting idea. If you have something that you're not happy about in the congregation, Write it down, 
dig it out two months later and say, is this still really significant? If so, then bring it up. If not, you know, it really didn't uh, merit bringing up in the first place. So uh, take a uh, take a vacation from critique and from complaining and spend that time instead nurturing and cultivating relationships with those in the congregation around you, especially perhaps with your pastor, and have the take the opportunity to strengthen these relationships when at times we're not maybe as as hectic and busy as we had been, that oftentimes sports haven't resumed yet, some extracurriculars haven't resumed yet, we might have a little bit of extra time, and devote that time to relationship building, not tearing down, not critiquing, but building and encouraging those relationships. One of the uh, things that people do and... Uh... As a broadcaster, I'm, I'm very aware of it, is think before you speak. Words are bullets. Once you have uttered it, you cannot call it back. Mm-hmm. And this is part of, I think, what you were saying about the uh, resist the temptation. You know, take the sabbatical, because it is so easy in the heat of the moment to say something that, boy, you are going to regret later. Or you're unaware of the damage that what you are saying will be doing. I uh, read something a while back that I've passed along a couple of times. It says, if you write a letter in anger, you will write the best thing you'll ever live to regret. <laughs> so, uh, you know, calm down, take some time, and see is this really worth the uh, the problem that I would cause. You know, another thought, a little bit uh, different track, is pastors really want to know that the parishioners are um, doing well. And uh, the way that we do that often is, frankly, by seeing people in worship. Most pastors will stand outside after the service and greet people. How are you doing? Good to see you. And while it seems insignificant, for me anyway, that really is a very important connection with people. And now, when I'm not seeing half the people I usually see on a weekly basis, I don't know how they're doing. Um, and to, as horrible as this sounds, to try to have a more intentional personal contact with that other half of the congregation <laughs> is, a, is a daunting task. Should I do it? I, I should do it. But uh, how much better it would be if, you know, those that part of the congregation would say, hey, pastor, I just wanted to let you know, I've not been able to be in church. My doctor has orders that I not be out in public, but I want you to let you know, I'm watching on Facebook Live every Sunday, and I really treasure the messages that, that God brings through you. Um, because we want to know that our, parent, our, our parishioners are doing well. We do care for our parishioners. And so when we don't have a way of seeing you and knowing how you're doing, please reach out and tell your pastor how it is that you're doing. Even if it's just say, hey, pastor, I know you haven't seen me for uh, seven months. Uh, I'm doing fine. I just can't go out. Uh, but thank you for what you're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, God bless your ongoing work. Oh, that would make such a big difference to pastors to hear from so many members of the congregation that we haven't been able to see. Actually, I did that today <laughs> because I'm, uh, I have to work tomorrow, so I won't be able to, uh, to attend services. And I actually emailed my pastor to say, gee, I won't be in church tomorrow, and here's why. So once in a while, I do the right thing. <laughs> well, we're coming up on well, the end of the program here. We've got about 45 seconds. What's the, uh, what, what are your thoughts? 
Well, hopefully that can be an encouragement to other people to follow in likewise. And I just want to close with uh, the words of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we are in this not as a sprint, but as a marathon. So let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, and let us consider our pastors and our lay people and encouraging them that we all look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him went to the cross for us, so that in our difficult times we can remember that he has gone through it before us. He has triumphed, and he will bring his church through this difficulty as well. We will survive and we will thrive. Pastor, thank you so much for being on the program as usual. It's a, it was a delight. We had a wonderful conversation, and we'll do it again soon. Thanks for the opportunity to be with you. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.